I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Enjoy. Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot, Neil. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. My name is Dave Hanratty, and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 274 of the No Encore Music Podcast on the Heads of Podcast Network. Craig Fitzpatrick. Dave, hey, what's up? It's good hearing the, the intro. We don't always hear it. A little look behind the scenes there, but... I'm um, controlling You are. You're tonight. in full control. Suits you, you see. <laughs> Sonic Architect Adam isn't here this week, so... Maybe he's been holding you back. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> No, no, please come back, Adam. We love you. We need you. We love you desperately, Adam. Uh, but he's yes. off. He's on a much-deserved week off. And so it's sad that we don't have him, but it has to happen. In his place, though, the wonderful Sonic architect David Tapley of Tan and Felix fame will be Legend. Um, editing the show together. But I think he's playing five-a-side football, so isn't on the call with us. So oh, even I'm, bigger legend. I know, yeah, I'm jealous. Um, and also ferociously unfit, so maybe it's for the best that I'm nowhere near a football pitch. At pandemic times. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm going to be controlling the audio. Now, that won't make a difference to the listener, because Tappy will make it sound good regardless. But Craig and I were just enjoying 
Bantam and Move, the amazing song by the amazing Bantam. Move is the song, our intro music. We heard it there for the first time in a while. I assume you listen to the show every week, though, Craig, so you're hearing it all the time, right? You're not, one of these, you're not one of these flakes who just does a podcast and doesn't listen to it, I trust, right? I do hear it quite a bit, but not as I'm about to, like, launch into performance mode? Is this performance? Are we performing? This is what peak performance sounds like, I believe. <laughs> Wonderful. Episode 274. I'm like 70% performance and 30% real on this I think I'm a bit giddy I've had a hell of a week lots of you admin have. yeah like I was defrosting a fridge today you blow fucking... drying your fridge freezer I could have died I sent you that that that, that footage and that wasn't I, a cry for help by the way I sent it to <laughs> I sent it to yeah the freezer full of ice I sent it to a bunch of people and like a couple of them were all like are you trying to kill yourself they're like you could die and I was like it's fine oh, really Why? if if water because drops like, get into a hairdryer yeah it would electrocute me and kill me you <laughs> weren't in the actual fridge with a dripping on the thing now I was supposed to fine. I was being, I was being pretty cavalier, but Jesus, I also that didn't even enter my mind. Yeah, yeah, nor, nor mine until it did, and then I thought maybe I should pull back from this and just hack at it with a fucking screwdriver or something. But the point is, it's done. Nothing was damaged, including me. It's fine. No encore two seven four music podcast. <laughs> right uh, on this episode, <laughs> it's fine. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> Top five songs about religion. You say that's oh, later yeah. in the show in honor of our album review, Saint Vincent. I suggested this to Craig. We had previously talked about doing top five songs about religion, but I suggested it off the back of Saint Vincent, and Craig was like what what's the connection what's the there tie-in? yeah and then immediately replied i'm an idiot saint, <laughs> saint vincent and then it took me a second Writes to figure itself. out why is he saying i'm an idiot saint vincent i don't understand what the throw on here is so we're all discombobulated this week basically we're like man united's end of season form right now so oh, that's what we're going to try and do uh no encore bingo by the way in case people might be wondering what that is patrons of the show at patreon.com slash no encore last weekend we put up a post it included a bingo sheet slash drinking game always imbibe responsibly of course concocted by the aforementioned wonderful golden locked laconic soul that is david tapley it's as it sounds it's a no encore bingo sheet right we're gonna put it out on twitter this week after the post twitter so it's at no encore show at hand ready dave at craigie slain we'll put it out there so and they could be looking at it right now they could be looking the at future. it right now. Wow. And the way it works is Tappy has, uh, has listened to the show quite often and he's taken account of things that we say a lot. So there's lots of spaces and squares for things that we say on the show. Uh, some of them are embarrassing. Uh, I guess we need to kind of change it up a bit maybe. But overall, I think it's a good stead of what we get up to on this show. Did you feel flattered by this uh, It was accolade? hugely flattering. And um, you know when people like win an award, like they or win an Oscar and they get up and they're like, oh, this is so humbling. And you're just like, this is the least humbling thing ever. This is kind of humbling because it's both flattering and you're also seeing like all of the annoying things you say. There's yeah. some really good ones in there. There's some in-jokes. Very happy about 1999, Summertime for Humanity. That was my fave. That's one of them, yeah. There's a lot of good Dave ones there as well. Don't give them all away, though, because I guess I that counts now that you've said it. So, no oh, encore shit. bingo if you want to play. I don't know if people do that kind of stuff. Maybe it's just a nice curio, but we'll put it up on the Twitter account and so on and so forth. Go check it out. Uh, a bit of housekeeping as well. Uh, there's a new No Popcorn out. It's on Sound of Metal, a show, a show, a film uh, that's out now on Amazon Prime, starring Riz Ahmed. About a drummer who loses his hearing, if you haven't seen that already, or if you have, you can check out the resulting episode with myself, Higgs, and Norma. That's out now on your podcast feed. And at the end of that episode, at the end of every No Popcorn, what we do is we tease what film we're doing next. We play a trailer, and we let it be known. Now, I don't want to spoil too much here for people who haven't heard that episode just yet, because very it may be a thing that after an hour and 20 minutes of film discussion, you like to find out what we're playing next 
in that real time. So I won't say what it is. I wouldn't be is. that precious about it, Dave. It's only out two days. Like, I want to give people okay. the chance, right? So, like, let, 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 I'm having a fucking weird week, right? Yeah, go away and listen to No Popcorn and then come back to this exact moment. Yeah, why not? Thanks, listener. Like, it'll be three hours and they're back. in total. Yeah. And they're back, yeah. <laughs> hi. So, um, the reason I bring it up is because, um, and without giving away what film it is, Craig Fitzpatrick will be making his No Popcorn debut. I can't believe it's taken this long to get you on the film show. And it's a film that is near and dear to your heart, I believe. <laughs> Can you explain what this is without saying what it is? I will say it's not my favourite film of all time. Uh, and definitely not my favourite subject matter. In fact, maybe the complete opposite. And that's probably all we can say. Yeah, I will say it's about a real band that Craig has issue with. And so go check out No Popcorn. That's going to be coming soon in the next few weeks with Craig making his debut. It might make you the host for that one, buddy. You know, maybe you can oh, tell us sorry. all about it. I'm expecting it's a great Angry show. Craig. I'm also honoured. You're usually Zen Craig. I want Angry Craig on that episode. Uh, also, yeah, like I mentioned, patreon.com slash noencore if you want to help support the show. Playlists, bonus episodes, our eternal gratitude, episode previews, all available at patreon.com slash noencore. The price of a takeaway pint is hugely invaluable to the show as we continue to record in the remote era, probably for the rest of our lives. And finally, one more plug before we get into the main show. I'm aware that this is a long section. Uh, it's a stretch to say it with. Sometimes we dive right in. Um... If you are paying attention, if you're listening to the podcast before the weekend, uh, you can check me out on Today FM on Sunday night. Check me out! (laughs) (laughs) On Ed Smith's show. So Ed Smith, the incredible radio DJ. Today FM, Ed had an idea. He invited me on for one hour to talk about new metal. I'm doing a top 10 new metal songs. I have to convince Ed that it's a worthy genre. National radio, Dave Hanratty, new metal. (laughs) This is quite literally 21, 22 odd years in the making. Craig, are you proud of me? I'm extremely proud. People can obviously listen back if they've missed it. I'm sure todayfm.com has that function. Well, we don't know how, um, how, how we'll see how it goes first. They might never want the audience oh yeah, to be should, okay. re- recreated. Maybe we can we... drop something into this one if it's like a warning thing. I'm kind of torn between knowing you'll do a good job and it will be entertaining and then the fact that you're going to be playing like 10 new metal songs. 10. <laughs> like, how do I wait through that? Yeah. 10. It's good spread. Full hour, full hour, you're, you're there for the full hour, yeah? The full hour. As they say on Listen, TV. Ed Ed, Ed asked me. People said, how did you convince him to do this? And I said, he came to me. He, he, was, he was buoyed by our, our recent new metal episode. So there you go. This Sunday. Today <laughs> FM. It was a, yeah, Radio. that was an all-timer. I'm not surprised. And finally, before we get going with the news, uh, my loveless vinyl, my buddy Valentine, has arrived as of today... Craig. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry, sorry Dave. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Should I take it from that profane outburst that yours has not? What's going on? Of course it is not. Uh, I checked my emails and it has dispatched apparently, but I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Because surely <laughs> it should be here. <laughs> it's leaks up, you know. It's leaks up, baby. Um, I did see the snaps of your vinyl. It looks glorious. It looks beautiful. It feels beautiful. It Are you going beautiful. to open it? <laughs> I listened to it already. I gave it a listen. Oh, did yeah. you? Yeah. Dave's Very first good. Loveless Vinyl listen. It was, and it was fantastic. You got the a- analog one. Did you? I, think I did indeed, versions. yeah. And yeah. I will say that nice. it was gorgeous. And uh, sometimes in particular, sometimes being my favorite, my Billy Valentine song, it just sounded, oh, it was like that bit from Garden State, except good. Okay, look, let's jump into, let's move on with the show. That's, been, that's enough waffle for now. Hey, you heard about the good news? I think we'll agree that the biggest news in music right now concerns Craig's favourite band, U2. What are they up to? Um, I don't know if we can include Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen Jr. in this. I, do, I think they're off the hook. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think it's Bono and The Edge that have maybe a lot to answer for. They've teamed up with Martin Garrix to provide Euro 2020 <laughs> with its official anthem. There's so much wrong with the name of the tournament, the tournament itself, and now... Fo- football um, is an institution, spoiler, I think, as well. Spoiler alert for the review, like the brief review here, the song itself. Yeah, it's um, it's called Weird People. We have a little listen. Uh, we will, but actually before we will, right? what I'll do is I'll queue up. Here's Martin Garrix, the Dutch DJ who, who spearheaded this project, on uh, the Jeremy White podcast. I don't know who that is, okay. but here's what I, I, I want to let him build up his own song because there's some gravitas here. Let's take a listen. It's only fair. Cool. Tell me about the evolution and the process of the song. And, you know, at what point did you know you wanted to work with Bono and the Edge of U2? And, you know, have you been able to work together in the studio? Or was it distant? And, you know, how was it working with, I mean, just total legends at this point? So the UEFA, when when they confirmed, uh, like, hey, Morten, we want you to do all the audio. Yeah. Um, I was I was very very excited, but also very nervous. And then they were like, you have carte blanche. Right. Are, this, just make sure it's euphoric, it feels good, and and we trust you um, that that you will do something that matches the the feel and the vibe of the tournament, and which is amazing right. honor, but also a big leap of faith like a lot of trust and in, my, in the back of my head some pressure because i was like okay <laughs> great yeah yeah um, yeah trust pressure leap of faith carte blanche euphoria all of those elements are in there craig do we think you, he lived you two up track to listing it? <laughs> it could um, be. let's let's just, see if he lived yeah, up to it will does we? it sound like euphoria let's give it a go let's give it a go That's We Are The People by Martin Garrix, Bono and The Edge. Previously, we said it was called We Are The People We've Been Waiting. Uh, then it was changed to We Are The People. I don't know if there was like an internal communique problem to begin with here. And of course, the chorus is We Are The People We've Been Waiting For. So it's all very confusing. Um, you know, f- from the streets of Dublin to Notre Dame, we're going to rebuild it. I guess that that's still a thing that has hit people hard, the burning of that cathedral. Um this video has Bono uh, milling around in a leather jacket at dusk. Yeah. The whole thing, I guess the combination of this, of him doing that, and just the general tone is like, this is like a rejected script song, isn't it? Don't you think? Yeah, very much so. The visuals are kind of quite, you know, MasterCards doing the football ad. And um, you mentioned Bono. You didn't mention Jason McAteer rocking up in the video as well, where it's like he's in an empty stadium playing football with himself. Like, I don't know, he's protesting John Delaney or something. I, it's very strange. Is he, like, best mates with you two or something? <laughs> he's paying tribute to that uh, goal he scored in a World Cup qualifier in 2001. So a different tournament <laughs> oh, altogether. That's, yeah, perfect tie-in. Why not? The um, biggest moment in Irish football, Jason McAteer. <laughs> I don't think... Uh, I don't think we were surprised by this, were we? I mean, it's 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 just too it's it's too generic to even be offensive. I think it's exactly what yeah, you think. It's, I, it's the sound I of took, overpriced beer in a fucking stadium. One hundred percent. I took real time notes just earlier on when I gave it a listen, and I started with parody edge guitar, logic preset edge guitar, weird people, um, million vo- volts in a bolt of lightning, inspirational physics, Bono doing Bono, Jason McAteer, and that's kind of when I stopped. So that was my blow, blow, blow account. 
Thank you very much for that. Not the only football tie-in and music of note, though. Who uh, Who's performing at the Champions League final, Craig? I think you have the scoop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just it's got confirmation Corey. there. It's, um, I can reveal it's Marshmallow, ladies and gentlemen. It's some guy called Marshmallow. <laughs> He's the he's uh, DJ. He's, he's DJ with, with, DJ. with the big ghost Lego head thing in the jig, isn't it? Yeah, That's... yeah. He's like a child of Dead Mouse, I guess. And uh, I'm sure he's very good. He's doing a virtual six minute spe- spectacle using the latest in immersive technology. It's going to be the opening as well. Um, none of these have ever really worked for football in general, right? We always, you know, of course, remember the G Man himself, G Money, uh, had David Guetta opening the the World Cup, but. It's not the Super Bowl. It's also it's corporate, just... though, isn't it? I mean, so oh, yeah. Marshmallow has said, this really has been a year like no other. I'm looking forward to giving my sport, music, and pure entertainment fans a show like <laughs> they've never seen. My entire portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Pepsi and UEFA, that is exactly what I'm going to bring to the world. A performance that everyone can enjoy. Now, you think he has enough ad speak going on, but uh, step forward, Natalia Filippo Sianz. PepsiCo's Vice President of Marketing for Global Beverages. She said, Marshmallow is the perfect artist to kickstart this year's UEFA Champions League final with heart-pounding joy and a set list filled with anthems of celebration that transcend genre, appealing to football and music audiences globally. Fans should watch for more exciting announcements, including some special guests, so stay tuned. Again, Craig, as someone who works in advertising, this union of uh, wonderful, wonderful art and music and... Just this doesn't sound like something a human being would say, right? <laughs> like it's so weird. <laughs> I'd say it's, it sounds like something that maybe ten different human beings workshopping this and getting approval from, like higher up, would say. Um, yeah, it's it's just a lot of nothing. Even the like the the Bono song, it's a whole lot of nothing. Like it, the 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 few details he gets in are kind of wrong. <laughs> like when he mentions the streets of Dublin, which is like, was he thinking? when he wrote it that we might qualify does he even know is Bono into football like do we have any evidence to show that he might be I don't think so but uh, you know like I think he's into uh, global events really and synergy he is a global event really do we think let's ask the tough question do we think you two and Bono in particular I hate to say it Craig do you think they still have the oomph that they had back in the whole you know launching the iPod days or is this a bit um, sad? No, I think I think the um, the launching the iPod thing was actually a great get for Apple at the time. Then it kind of came full circle with the uh, free album on everyone's phone, which I think really did them a lot of damage. Yeah, I think their brand is hurting for a while now. Let's not continue this conversation, but I think okay. it's making me sick. But yeah. Well, uh, speaking of making you sick, what's Morrissey up to this week? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to do it. Um, well, he's doing something kind of good. <laughs> wow, careful. Choose, why choose, choose, choose those words carefully. He's Craig. been working with ASAP Rocky, who we, we like on this show. So, yeah, it's grand. ASAP's been um, talking to GQ. He's the new cover star. And he himself is working on the follow-up to testing. It's called All Smiles. And he says it features Rihanna and also Morrissey. According to the profile, the singer has been writing, producing, and contributing vocals to the new album. Anything you need him to do, he shows up and does it. Um, which is kind of like, is he making the tea? Is he just like, he's like ASAP's fixer man? Uh, yeah, I don't know. So it's it's kind of this old story we keep coming back to of like, 
Morrissey being weirdly a bit of a big deal in the US or at least in kind of LA and California and Europeans being a bit bemused that they you know seem to be missing the whole Britain first weird right-wing politics stuff and you think a guy like Rocky would be anti those kind of politics for sure they probably haven't had any conversations about it and yeah I don't know it's just um He's continuing to work with a lot of major artists, which is fine, I guess. It's their choice, but it's just odd. I did not see this collab coming whatsoever. Did you? No, not at all. Um, I think you're right in identifying the fact that there can be, despite, you know, how fast information can travel to your phone, no matter what part of the world you're in, there is probably a disconnect, right? In terms of just different audiences and different attitudes and different parts of the world. Maybe Morrissey has, like, quadrants of of the globe that he can he can continue to thrive in i suppose yeah, I, mean, I, I talked before but he's he's massive with like in mexico isn't he i believe so yeah, yeah. um but look listen i don't want to devote too much time to the guy he's gross but it is interesting i didn't see it coming maybe it'll be interesting the asap rocky uh story in gq is pretty good incredible photographs he looks amazing man but he always has. he's a beautiful beautiful he's man. a beautiful man <laughs> um is chris is chris martin a beautiful man uh, that's a question we could ask for days but we'll focus on his brain and what he's been Good. thinking about. Uh, he has claimed, Chris Martin, of course, uh, you, you might know from a little band called Coldplay, uh, he has said that he might want to use emojis as song titles for the next Coldplay album. Um, again, Craig? Yeah, I don't thing, know what this means. The type of thing that come <laughs> up in a pitch meeting in a creative space? He was I, talking to Radio X. Um, great station. And he was... he was. <laughs> oh, he was talking to Chris Moyles. <laughs> Does that change your last statement? It does. And I want to walk it back and say that, like, Radio X, someone considered a great station. Today FM, however, when they do <laughs> a new metal special with Dave Hanratty on Sunday evening, that's a great station, I think. It is, yeah. Continue, and no Craig. Chris Moyles, which is almost as, as much of a sweetener. It's a big selling point, yeah, that I don't have to speak yeah. to him. So, um, uh, yeah. He, he was saying that he wants this to happen, but he's he isn't sure that service providers will allow it. Um, Damn the man. I, like, I don't quite know what he's trying to do. Like, he he clearly doesn't want to claim existing emojis. He wants maybe altered emojis just that will work on different platforms. It kind of feels like, like, Bonnie Vare, the whole 22 million thing, he did a lot of, you know, stuff with symbology and I think it was kind of based in Kabbalah stuff. And it was kind of interesting. I like all that kind of messing around with iconography and... I think we're all sick of like the lowercase song titles at this stage. We need something new. Um, you know, numbers instead of words have been done. Where'd you go? You go emoji. He's a big thinker. But um, <laughs> I'm just envisaging that track listing now and being like, oh, this is a Coldplay album I will not be listening to. He's Unless dis- we, of course, inevitably have to review it. <laughs> we probably will. We reviewed the last one. I couldn't tell you anything about it. Uh, he's a disruptor. That's what he does. He likes to disrupt things. So I wonder, was he joking? Probably. Because like he's a bit of a jokester as well, isn't he? He's actually quite funny at times. So maybe he was having <laughs> yeah. the bands with Chris Moyles. Yeah, you he, know the lads. He, he's a he's a real japester. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, something I saw during the week, by the way. I I, I shouldn't bring this up, but I'm going to because he's a musician. So this is a music show. You know, Brezzy. You know, everyone's favorite mental health guru. Brezzy. Work, yeah. So Brezzy put out a tweet this week. Blizzards, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bookaroo. Seminal. Great band. Brezzy put out a tweet this week, and he just said like. Um, he said, like something like like he goes. A lot of Irish comedians, like during lockdown, have like really kind of like you know made us realize that there's more to the jokes. And like, if anything, like they're 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 showing us how to think about, uh, or at least communicating information about, like you know, political and societal and global issues. And I just think that I think that's really cool, or something. And I'm like, dude, that's been the function of like comedy since 
the days of fucking court gestures. Like, like this isn't like what? Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand. Not it understanding. Does smack that. of like this will be, you know, profound, very easy on the old likes, and you know, oh, big time. <laughs> it yeah. just feels like it really taps into kind of Irish Twitter. And so yeah, true. Yeah. Um, Chris Martin, I guess another deep thinker. Uh, I neglected to mention last week when the new single "Higher Power" came out, which is not an emoji; it's two words in the traditional sense. Uh, he spoke to Zoe Ball on Radio Two. And he said that the pandemic forced him to reassess his relationship with fame. Uh, Last year was quite an eye-opener, he told uh, Zoe Ball, like channeling that marshmallow way of thinking, I suppose. Uh, I was like, who am I without Wembley Stadium saying, you're awesome. I'm trying in my life right now to not attach too much to being a pop star. I'm trying not to get my self-worth from external validation. And then the next line in this BBC article is, he was speaking as Coldplay unveiled their new single. They premiered the 80s-inspired uh, 80s inspired pop song on board the International Space Station, <laughs> teaming up with French astronaut Thomas Pequet, who beamed the music back to Earth by satellite. Uh, in a video chat, Chris Martin told the 43-year-old aerospace engineer, right now, we aren't able to play for anybody on Earth. So we thought we'd just play for you. It's like our one-man concert. He elaborated to Zoe Ball, saying, we've been trying to imagine what music might sound like on other planets and trying to imagine being those other acts. <laughs> Matt so Bellamy. Not, so we're not thinking of ourselves as being the band Coldplay from England. So again, thinking big He's international. Always. He's big news. He's, uh, he's beyond Wembley, to be fair. Didn't <laughs> that quote, that last quote, sound like you could totally imagine Bono saying that? He's turning into Bono. But he's always trying to be like, like, like he's very much been yeah. on, the, on the Bono path for quite some time. Um, yeah, okay. Right. Um, in America, Craig. Uh, <laughs> in America. In America. Uh, there's a new television show coming up that will focus on Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson. I believe it's called Pam and Tommy. And uh, Courtney Love is not happy. Your old friend Courtney Love, what's she been saying? She basically says it's fucking outrageous that it's going ahead. Um, It's a Hulu series, apparently. She took to Facebook on Sunday uh, to air grievances. She was basically just remembering when the sex tape itself leaked back in the day. And um, she was in studio at the time with Paddy Scammell and Melissa Oftemar. And basically she was saying, you know, we were the lone women in many recording studios in LA where like all the staff, engineers, producers, owners were watching the sex tape with like huge schadenfreude guffaws. It was disgusting. I banned anyone discussing it. Uh, She says she was approached for one of her Rolling Stone covers to like feature in it and in this piece of shit, as she puts it. And she said, fuck no, shocked. Gentlemen don't approve this sort of thing. And that her heart goes out to Pammy. She also took... um, she fired a few shots off at Lily James as well who will be playing Pamela Anderson and yeah Anderson herself has said she won't be watching it it's a god awful show basically hates the idea of it and it will be kind of reliving trauma um, so yeah it's it, it was a pretty vile thing at the time it, it was peak kind of 90s stuff wasn't it of just like tearing her down um, it's such a huge kind of awful pop culture moment that on those grounds, you can kind of, you can understand why there might be something based around it, but it's certainly nothing I want to see. Yeah, no, I have no interest. I mean, yeah, it's it's along the lines of, like, the assassination of Gianni Versace or something like that. Hugely, but, yeah. Um, it does seem quite But, bad. like, with Tommy Lee's massive penis staring L- uh, about. <laughs> Lily James is in it. Um, Sebastian Stan is playing Tommy Lee. And Seth Rogen is playing the electrician who stole the sex tape in the first place. I mean, like, again, what what are these words coming out of my mouth? Let's talk about something more wholesome. Craig's favourite film of all time, not just seasonal, is Home Alone. And I gotta yes. figure, 
I got to figure if somebody was to remake that film, you'd probably be a bit upset about this. So what's going on? And if that person happened to be Chance the Rapper, noted man who is married and occasional rapper Chance the Rapper, he's, yeah, I'm not sure about this whatsoever. Now, I will say, as he does say in these quotes, you know, he's a Chicago guy, home loan famously, you know, steeped in Chicago. He might know about this more than me and like maybe it's it's not my place to say, even though it is my favourite film. So basically he's been on Jimmy Fallon, which to me is another awful career move for him. But anyway, he was talking about what he's been working on and he says, um, it's a secret thing, <laughs> he announced on Jimmy Fallon. I'm working on, I, I, I've got this pitch for a Home Alone reboot. As a lot of people know, I'm sure everybody here is a huge fan of Home Alone, John Hughes and yeah. Chicago guy, Macaulay Culkin, it's a Chicago film. So he says, since I was young, I always watched it and I was like, what if there was a hood home alone? Or hood alone, if you will. I feel like he's kind of just vamping at this point. <laughs> just a little more realistic story about what happens when people try to kick in the doors at the wrong house. Hilarity ensues. And yeah, he can't give any more details. I kind of hope he's joking, but I don't know. And um, it seems weird to me. Like, if he's talking about the reality of what happens when people kick in doors... Hilarity shouldn't ensue, first of all. Yeah, exactly. And second yeah. of all, if he was going to, like, if he's thinking the hood, maybe it should be more gritty. I mean, did he see Home Alone 2, where Macaulay Culkin is literally throwing bricks off, like, third, you know, the third floor of huge building? I, I, I don't know. It gets pretty cartoonishly grim, so I don't know where he's going to take it. Uh, could it work? I don't know. They're, they're already re- reworking uh, the original there's a new movie in the pipeline there's been four sequels a lot of which were horrible it won't affect the original that's absolutely bulletproof but yeah why if is you can it get joe pesci back why is it i know f- it took a lot for scorsese <laughs> to get him out of retirement for the irish man but if chance went to nomination was like, and he was very good in it uh why is it your favorite film uh it's got a bit of everything i think that scene in the church um the old man and Kevin as they kind of talk about their fears in life and um, facing up to them and that back backing that should have been submitted to the Academy and everyone involved should have won Oscars it's just it's perfect it's such it's a great script the music is sublime it's feel good but there's actual kind of heft and emotional depth to it church you say kind of <laughs> kind of conjures up a certain type of atmosphere hark what is that sound? Melvin Ben. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's Melvin Ben Corner once again. And uh, what's he been saying this time? What's the Festival Republic MD been saying, Craig? And the, I guess, an interesting time, really, in the fallout from Longitude going down and still so many uncertain questions about festivals, but also a bit of hope on the radar. Uh, he has once, once again, uh, Melvin Ben, doing the media rounds. Bullish. Uh, yeah, anything bullish, Ben. Say. I mean, the quotes aren't that interesting, but we got to play like the drop again, so it's it's all worth it immediately. He's planning uh, to stage a second festival pilot as part of this events research program. Um, it's going to be a three day, ten thousand capacity festival event with camping in mid June. Um, so this is obviously following on from the events we saw in Liverpool, which seemed to be a kind of huge success. In fairness to the man, and uh, the Brit Awards went well. Uh, the FA Cup, it's all happening. But um, yeah, he's getting his way. It's, it's, I, it's, his I, I vision like is his, coming to fruition. I like his quote though, where he he 
puts blame on the transport system. He says buses and shoving people into buses and, 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 and on tubes and such. That's the real problem, not gigs. The entertainment industry is, is COVID-free, whereas getting to the entertainment itself, that's where yeah, you have yeah. your problem. So nice shifting of the goalpost. But yes, you did. You saw through my transparent ruse, Craig. I just wanted to use the drop while we still can. Um, Glastonbury looks like it's going ahead to some degree in September. They have, uh, it appears to be like application granted for a 50,000 person festival or 50,000 person event. Uh, in front of the pyramid stage and everyone's being like but surely not surely not but there's new data from the government this week Craig that says going to gigs outdoors is as risky as going to the supermarket so maybe maybe we are in fact getting into a new direction in this whole gigging business we'll keep our eyes on it but in the meantime if you want to wrap your ears around an entirely different podcast one about folklore for example check out this on the Headstuff Podcast Network have to buy hard hats. Have a listen to this. Just my name and address and be sure. You're not getting an answer to that. Have a listen to this. The Head Radio Podcast looks at the humble scene in the backward place where no one important ever looks to steal from Patrick Kavanagh. Taking inspiration from the hedge schools of old, the Hedge Radio Podcast brings you stories that you won't hear anywhere else. You need imagination for everything. Have a listen to this. It's someone's reaction to reading a book. Well, that's one way to tell a story. Our next artist for our album review has been telling stories in lots of different ways and lots of different guises over the last decade and more. It's St. Vincent. She's back with her sixth record. It's called Daddy's Home. Here's a track for you. was the lead single of Daddy's Home. It's called Pay Your Way in Pain. Craig Fitzpatrick, tell us about St. Vincent. Who is she? What does she want? <laughs> I don't know her demands exactly, but she's the artist also known as Annie Clark. Um, born in Tulsa, raised in Texas. Apparently we can claim her as Irish if we so choose. Like she's got the... <laughs> we'll let this review decide. I'm shaking my head. Shaking his head. Little spoiler there. <laughs> Ruefully. So uh, in terms of her career to date... Um, she had the very kind of indiest of starts, maybe the twiest. Like she was initially a member of the Polyphonic Spree, which I always kind of forget and can scarcely believe. Um, she was then, she was noticed by Sofian Stevens, ended up in his band, a uh, much superior band. She actually had an album, I think a solo album already under her belt uh, that wasn't released at that point, And he kind of got her uh, a deal. It was released on Beggar's Ban- Banquet. And um it was called Marry Me, like the Arrested Development joke and did quite well for her. I think at this point, she's probably like at the indier end of music. She's seen a lot as as a kind of great rock star hope, right? Like she's approaching iconic for a lot of people, Dave. She's racked up a lot of kind of credentials. In fairness to her, she's made a number of kind of musical leaps. So actor second album was kind of she had a darker voice and attitude and songs were kind of like down the rabbit hole weirdness um the strangers for example which really kind of captured my attention strange mercy then was pretty mercurial i thought it was great but it was the self-titled i think that made me notice and she had like this shock of like mad scientist purple hair and she was doing this digital funk thing and i think she had the songs for a career so i was like okay she's going to take up the mantle now 
Uh, she also, you know, fronted Nirvana. Do you remember that induction thing? And like, along with the likes of Lord and stuff, but she had real kind of star power and bravura and she seemed to ease into the role. So I was excited about what would happen next. And what happened next was Mass Seduction, which we reviewed right here. Um, I remember being hugely underwhelmed. I believe you were too. Left me cold. It kind of felt undercooked as if it was holding the listener like arm's length. And I, I don't think the songs were really there. Uh, she was working with Jack Antonoff, um, who definitely works for some artists, but I, I don't think um, gives her kind of enough teat. Like her, her sound needs a bit more bite and raw emotion. He's back for this project um, in between. You know, we've got a kind of interesting relationship where we've done new stories talking about her gigging and doing like enhanced experience stuff where you can have your photograph taken with St. Vincent's signature guitar and yeah daddy's home is the sixth album uh the backstory has been everywhere people probably know it by now but basically the title refers to her dad being released from prison after being in for 10 years for stock manipulation and that kind of story really overtook the album rollout um of course there was initial criticism of like you know in this climate and this culture you know lauding your father who you know would do this kind of thing isn't the best look um there was an interview that was spiked because she felt it was aggressive it was then leaked and it didn't seem all that aggressive considering she kind of presented that material anyway it's been a whole conversation and in fairness i think people were maybe jumping the gun and she's come out and said listen she doesn't like cancel culture she didn't really like what was going on she said listen to be human is to be flawed i don't know who among us has lived flawless life find me the person who has uh, i don't think that's possible which i agree with so i'm gonna maybe sideline that discussion in my part of the review and just get into the album dissection um but as for the album is it a flawed record dave how did you get on and i say that as i i know full well how you got on with it um i listened to it today for the fifth time while uh hacking away at that affirmation freezer situation and i hated my life for the entire duration oh, i struggled to get to five listens five listen test on this show and like it's weird because that doesn't, that doesn't really mean anything in a way as i said before on a recent episode i listened to that royal blood album probably 20 times because i just had this weird you know yo-yo thing on it where i was like this is nothing i can listen to this no problem this is clearly a more substantial record she's a more substantial songwriter um i will say real quick on the whole you know interview thing that like you know came out that she asked to not come out i just want to mention this really quick um i was baffled by that whole thing that whole narrative for like the whole 24-hour twitter thing because like i read that interview um i thought it was not a great interview in general um and i didn't think it was tetchy enough to make headlines it was leaked by the journalists themselves which i thought was really fucking unprofessional Uh, and i was genuinely surprised and disheartened to see it gain the traction it got because it was neither sordid enough nor interesting enough or anything and there was yeah it was just i I thought everyone came out of it not looking not great um so there has been dominance it was approached like it was some you know piece of really important investigative journalism and it's just like this is just someone promoting an album like folks what are we doing here yeah i wasn't surprised given some of the personnel involved but you know i just thought it was very very pretentious reflective of the record itself um i don't think i like saint vincent um (laughs) on reflection you know i've mentioned before that i saw her initially back in the late 2000s open up for the national in the olympia theater and she was like a timid folk artist and kind of charming i suppose but you know not terribly interesting it was just there you know it was like grand there's a bit of folk go to the bar um i liked the self-titled quite a bit Uh, i think it's her best album by a mile songs like digital witness are fucking unreal um she's clearly an incredible performer an incredible musician you know she's rightly hailed for her guitar skills in particular 
Um, I think the last few years have been really, really revealing in that I think that she doesn't have anything left to say, if she ever did. Um, I think she's also, you know, to to quote that DJ Khaled meme, uh, congratulations, St. Vincent, you played yourself. Because I feel like ultimately, what is she doing? So it's like Mass Seduction, which is a wretched album, is very much like, you know, high art, you know, pop art, bollocks, about nothing. The only good song on there is New York, and it's not even about her. Um, then you have this, where it's like, it's the 70s now, I suppose. Like, for example, like, you know, the title track, which is genuinely painful on the ears, is a case of her deciding, I can do Prince and I can do Fiona Apple in the same song. And it's just nails on a chalkboard. I really can't stand it. The only time on this record that I'm in any way interested for five seconds is when she does, uh, there's a song called My Baby Wants a Baby. And on it, she pivots into the Sheena Easton song, My Baby Takes the Morning Train, briefly. And that can be clever when you pastiche and you pick and you, you know, repurpose, I guess. But in that one, I'm just like, oh man, that's a great song. These songs suck. I hated this album, Greg. I wish I had better criticism of her. Because she's clearly an artist of renown, and I understand the appeal. I understand the devotion in some corners, although it does seem people are getting tired of her. I know we reference Pitchfork all the time, like it's the Bible, and it certainly is not. But it was interesting this week to see that, like, when this album came out, and on their, like, thing that they post every Friday, like, you know, here are the six albums that are out today you must listen to, this was not in there. And then the review itself was very, very middling. Um, mm. I think she's ran out of road creatively. I think she needs to get the fuck away from Jack Antonoff. And I think maybe the songs, once again, aren't here. Uh, It's incredibly boring. Um, It just made me think of other artists that are doing this better. Even like, and again, maybe an unfair comparison, but like, this is a little bit countryfied at times. Landa Ray's last album that we reviewed isn't great, but it's streets ahead of this. I really hated this. I hate spending time with it. It ruined my week. I have more time for St. Vincent, I think, but I just kept thinking every time I went back to this, and it was five listens that I gave it. Um, how can an artist this talented deliver something that just feels so inconsequential? <laughs> it really did. Um, the Pitchfork thing is interesting because I do think she was like threatening to hark back to, you know, the confessional singer-songwriters of the 70s on this one. She does it in parts. There is the title track, which kept tripping me up every time I got to it. I like... I'd be two tracks in and going, okay, maybe this is the listen where I get into it. And then that fucking opening, which is just so irritating um, as she visits her dad or whatever. And I was just out of it again. But yeah, I think the thing with her is she won't deliver the kind of intimacy, intimacy that we expect artists to deliver these days. And she's kind of, she seemed like she might be doing that. And now she's got, she doesn't, but she's kind of got burned from offering what she did. The Pitchfork review to me was a bit, I think it was spot on with the musical criticisms, but there was kind of some classic, like I think Pitchfork have just decided she's not the right brand of woke for them. Do you think that's fair? I mean, there's there's some lines that I picked out where they talk about the dissonance appears on daddy's home whenever Clark's louche time-traveling character collides with the political tensions of the present day. It's odd, for example, the two songs on the album refer to calling The Cops or 911 in light of the past year's uprisings against pr- police brutality. I just felt like that's a bit of a reach. <laughs> and that's, that's like very way, harsh. way too much, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, again, it There's, was like, in that aforementioned like terrible interview that got spiked, there's a moment where the journalist is really pushing her to like make a comment about Black Lives Matter and stuff and it doesn't actually have a relevance to the record and you can tell St. Vincent was kind of like, 
this like it that felt like agenda pushing on behalf of the journalists and that feels the same yeah. here i understand like you're tied into the time but like is that person suggesting that we digitally erase all police characters from movies while we're at it i mean like, i don't understand yeah yeah, it's a lot. And this and, isn't me being like, know, yo, pro-cop, because I'm not, but I'm just saying, like, it, it no, doesn't... but it's about, like, the weird demands we place on artists that are not referring to those issues whatsoever. And, yeah, like, if you're pulling kind of dodgy lyrics, there's plenty to go around here that have legitimate, like, you know, just that just don't work. Um, lines like, like, the heroines of Cassavetes, I'm under the influence daily, where she's just ridiculously on the nose. And she's talked about how you know every album seems like a transformation this time she's gina rollins in a cassavetes film and like as it happens most of this feels like dress up i agree with your points that like you the references are so blatant and you just end up wanting to go and listen to you know john lennon's new york 1970s albums there's like pink floyd stuff going on here there's of course lots of bowie and lots of prince and it's just exceedingly pastiche from like the kind of blonde wig noir vibe aesthetic thing to I guess she's going for like the big apple on heroin right but like it's it's kind of like sleaze presented with this Jack Antonoff slickness which just completely neuters it and you know apologies to Mick Jagger it ain't so easy being sleazy it turns out I like I enjoy passages of it she's a great guitarist um Kind of like the guitar, kind of sitar effect she has on things, but by and large, it's just, there's a lot of clunkers. There's a lot of songs where I'm just like, I agree, she she is nothing to say. And the world she's kind of inhabiting just feels like it's been done. Every reference point is, you can, you know, see the seams mile off. My Baby Wants a, a Baby one is blatant because she like gives the original songwriter credit. And she's talked about how she actually came up with the melody and thought it was her own. And then she realized oh no it's sheena easton and then she went well actually it, it works really well because um the lyrics will kind of tie into how it flips it around and i feel like it was kismet and i'm like oh this is not the sound of kismet dave it's the sound of a lot of other songs but yeah there's moments like at that like some of the songs are pleasant enough but then the lyrics are like at the holiday party where it's like this soulful backing and she's talking about a party with people who just sound insufferable she she also doesn't really make her characters likable. She really struggles with that. Apart from like Prince Johnny, uh, this is just like all talking about, you know, your Gucci purse is a pharmacy, and you know these rich people with drug addictions. And I kept thinking these are very bougie problems. This sounds like she's doing. You can't always get what you want, which was done way better. Um, what forty fifty years ago now. And then I saw her in an interview say, yeah, that's my You Can't Always Get What You Want song. And I'm just like, this is not that. Like, you're missing the Rolling Stones. You're not even at Sheena Easton's level. Um, And we're closing with, like, Candy Darling, which, again, she's using kind of muses for superior artists. It doesn't need to be done again. Um, There's no bite to it, as I said. I just... Even the funky kind of... the, The supposed party songs, the fun tracks aren't fun. There's very little great bass going on. I feel like she was going for like a New York party scene vibe where it's like you've got the party drug songs and you've got the heroin songs. But the parties are kind of like, well, I'm not actually coming up. Nothing's happening. And then the woozy songs are just like, I'm just kind of nodding off. Um, Didn't work on many, many levels. There's flashes. There's moments. Um, I like somebody like me living the dreams kind of cool. And there's a certain level of competence, but I am not going back to this album. She's a boring, rich, self-involved beige individual, and I'm out. Three 
out of ten. Yeah, I'll give a five just because like it's a fi- it's a pleasant fine listen, and I don't think it's a car crash. But yeah, five. Okay, uh, that was unpleasant. Patreon.com slash no encore if you still think the show has value, which I hope you do. Um, and value comes in many forms, Craig. For some people, religion. I want to say at the outset here, I'm not necessarily a religious person. I don't think you are, but if you are, by all means, like you know, there'll be no judgment here. Uh, if anyone is... I'm going to do the, the stock. Uh, I'm more of a kind of spiritual person, Dave. Perfect, yeah. I assume that'd be yeah. the case. Um, I think you are a bit spiritual, but and, and that's fine. I mean, like, listen, I've gone from... And like some of these songs will reflect this. Like, I think I've gone from the days of outright rejecting it in, in all its forms to respecting people who do have beliefs and that kind of stuff. So if anyone is listening who thinks we're going to trash religion and make fun of that, we're, I, I'm not. I mean, Craig is on worst this week, so I don't know. Yeah, what, 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 what are you saying? You're on best. I'm... I'm the- <laughs> one that is dragging this i will say it's mainly musical and yeah my some of my selections everyone is going to be agreeing with me um well they always how do. did you find picking the best because um we kind of, kind of when we divided it up i was thinking about the two sides of it and i was kind of glad initially that i did not get the best because it's such a kind of it's a topic that is done so often. There's such immaculate songs. I, I'd say it was hard whittling down. Like, I had the same problem, but luckily when I whittled down stuff, it was a relief because it just meant I didn't have to listen to that god-awful song again. Well, yeah, appropriately enough, it's a, it's a broad church, Craig. And as a matter of fact, um, I mean, there's some obvious contenders which I didn't include. Like, I, I don't have It's a Sin by Pet Shop Boys because... I feel like that's popped up before, as of they, several times, and I was like, well, sure. I'll just be repeating myself. Although I think I did pick one that I have picked before, because I was just, again, my, my brain's been in a tizzy all week, so we'll see how we go. Um, I, initially, when we were going to do this one a couple months ago, there was a Mushroom Head song called The New Cult King I was going to put in here, but I left them out. Because again, we did new metal recently. It's an amazing song. I think I'd just be saying the same stuff. Um, yeah, and you can hear it on Sunday night, probably. Well, <laughs> tune in. Who knows? Um, but <laughs> who here, knows? But here's the thing. I mean, educated guess. But basically, it's like, uh, I, as always, you know, with my five, there's some abstractions in here. Some of them are very on the nose, and some of them we could even ask if they are about religion. And again, it's a complex subject. You know, like I don't know enough about it, and I want to learn sure. more through the process of diving into some songs. Um, I think you have to go first, though, because we want to end on best. I'll go first. Before I get into my number five, um, to set the scene, maybe, and this is just a a clip that I I cut last week and we didn't get to, but I was like, people need to hear this. So this is kind of bridging the gap between our songs about the end of the world and songs about religion. It's not a terrible song. It's just weird. I think people should hear it. Uh, Maybe give it an L spin. That's Jesus Gonna Hit Like the Atom Bomb, that was which awesome. is what an incredible song title. It's from 1949. There's been loads of versions. I think that was the Pilgrim Travelers. But yeah, just kind of like the post-World War II nuclear panic. And yeah, I thought some like existential barbershop would get us in the mood. Never let it be said we don't tackle the big topics, Dave. That's true. I should say as well, you have, as always, at the top five, if anyone doesn't know, Craig and I don't know what we have coming out of each other's respective audio uh, feeds. I'm choosing my words carefully there. Um, Essentially, I know that before, 
a couple of times we were, we're both guilty of it and I know that recently with the new metal episode which disturbs down with the sickness you did lament after the fact that you should have had a trigger warning in place and you've yeah, been saying yeah, to me yeah. now for the last couple of days that there's one song in this top five I believe it's later on that everyone needs to really just step back and brace themselves including me I don't know what it's going to be so let's yeah, make sure be, we get that in it won't be like a on. loud kind of physically you know um, <laughs> diverting thing it's just quite creepy uh it's gonna be the runner-up like i kept moving this around it could nearly be number one but i didn't want to end with that sour taste and it could have been i was like will i have it as number five as kind of curio and then i was like people might just tune out immediately it's funny we'll find the funny side in it um but yeah let's let's just start with my actual number five and um this is just pure funny it's contemporary christian music meeting the war on drugs and hip-hop in the 1990s in america <laughs> all right kicking off the worst side of songs about religion let's go And once again, I make the obvious gag, but Craig, I'm on best, not you. <laughs> what is this gold you've dug up this week? It's Carmen. Um, may he rest in peace. Apparently he passed away this year. Um, he's Carmelo Domenica uh, Licardello. Uh, he was a Christian music singer, as we just heard. A very accomplished one. He was a television host. He was a life coach. He was an evangelist, basically. And he was... Um, he was New Jersey's finest, with apologies to Bruce Springsteen. Um, an interesting kind of upbringing. He started off as a child performing in his mother's band. I think he was on drums. Uh, as a teenager, he like had a lot of success performing in casinos in Atlantic City. But then he at- attended this uh, concert by Andre Crouch and he became a born-again Christian. I don't know if it was mid-concert, but apparently it was a good one. And essentially in the kind of mid 80s, he had a very successful career as um, a Christian singer who did a lot of very beige, like kind of ballads and slick kind of, you know, Reagan era hits. Like he had a hit in 1986 called Revival So Lord, and it was just him kind of crooning. Um, But he got more adventurous, Dave, as you just heard. Yeah, Um, what is this song? So this is Addicted to Jesus. It's the title track from the 1991 album Addicted to Jesus. Um, It follows up on the previous album, The Champion, which was like nearly nine minutes um, of exceptional storytelling where Jesus is cast as like a kind of Rocky figure and he takes on the devil who's like Apollo Creed, I guess. Um, But by the 90s, he was like, I guess he'd heard NWA and Snoop and was like, it's time for the kids to get properly hip to Jesus. Um, so he teamed up with DC Talk, who you can kind of hear on that as well. And they were like a bit more hip hop, but very much um, on board with the Lord. Oh, nice. <laughs> this, Nicely done. This, this track starts with like, so they they start off kind of shooting the breeze. And uh, Carmen, this very white dude, is talking to them. And uh, he's like asking if they've heard about the A to J. 
and they're like, what, what are you talking about, man? It gets dangerously close to Jive Talk. And then he's like, let me take you to school. And this kicks in. <laughs> there's some bizarre lines. Like he, there's a verse where he starts going at jogging for some reason. He goes, people, they go crazy and they don't know when to stop running, jogging, exercising. I'm going to pump you up, smoking in the boys room, drink all the booze, drug and crack and heart attack. And what do you lose? And then he goes on about Christ a bit more. And yeah, like he he was still pumping out the albums like well into um, his later years. This had a lot of success. Like he had pretty, well, not big budget videos, but there's some amazing ones out there. Um one for Jericho, The Shout of Victory, which is worth checking out. Um, there's songs like Holy Ghost Hop, Holy Ghost Hop, which is like a kind of Paula Abdul song. And oh yeah, of course, on this album as well, there's Satan Bite the Dust, which is like, again, Jesus is fighting Satan, but this time it's kind of like a Western saloon shootout. Wow, there's, there's so much elaborate conflict here, which I guess is reflective of religion, I suppose. Um, this is precise. I've never heard this song, Addicted to Jesus, before. Um, uh, this is precisely the kind of thing I thought you would get to, though. I assume there would be just really cringeworthy, uh, you know, Casio keyboard kind of presets colliding with terrible rapping and that kind of stuff. It's kind of ripe for it. Like, why do you think religion is such an easy target for this particular era, this particular style, I guess? I think it's because it's it's quite a cynical thing, Dave, if I might be so bold. Oh, like where uh, it, it would seem a lot of heavily kind of Christian families in the US in particular, um, you always hear these kind of anecdotal stories of people growing up in these families and they're like forbidden from listening to rock and roll or hip hop or popular music, which creates this vacuum of like, well, the kids have to listen to something. So enterprising souls like Carmen come in and just go, well, I can do that kind of music, but like with a positive, wholesome message. And they get kind of massive in their own weird subgenre. Um, so yeah, just, you know, when I was doing research on this top five, <laughs> there's a lot of articles by people that have like, long since maybe abandoned the church but like they were in their teens and listening to this and thinking it was the coolest thing in the world rather than i don't know any proper hip-hop fair enough um massive in their own genre to the point that they were recognized as one of the quote-unquote big four is my act coming in here at number five to kick off the best songs about religion i don't think you need a trigger warning here but i will say this one is a bit loud so let's do it But Dave, I thought I was on worst. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. <laughs> uh, Slayer, that's Slayer, Slayer. That yeah. Is, yeah, it is. It's Slayer, indeed. A very good band. The song is called Disciple. And that's all I gotta say. And that's all that on that. Uh, it's from the <laughs> album God Hates Us All. You may have heard the title there, refrained. Um, you know, some, 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 some confusing cryptic lyrics there. You know, um, I, I guess homicide, suicide, hate heals, you should try it sometime. Strive for peace with acts of war, the beauty of death we all adore. I have no faith distracting me. I know why your prayers will never be answered. God hates us all. Craig, um, as someone who I look up to in the world of journalism, in the world oh, in general, you. really... Um, is there any way that you could possibly drill down into these mysterious lyrics and, and, and try and get at the heart of the matter for us, please? Because I know I'm Many, confused. many layers. Um, 
Yeah, they've kind of based their entire career on this, right? I th- I think they're kind of the... <clears throat> are they like the satanic Ramones a bit? They've got one message and they're sticking to it. I know Rain and Blood, which is actually, you know, pretty tremendous. I'm sure everything else I hear sounds like variations on that theme. Am I correct? Yeah, oh yeah, you've hit so many marks here that you should be given some kind of award. Um, so Slayer um, kind of make the same album over, over and over again to a degree. Um Here's uh, something I found to say. The band's lyrics and album art which cover topics such as murder, serial killers, torture, genocide, politics, human subject research, organised crime, secret societies, mythology, occultism, Satanism, hate crimes, terrorism, religion or anti-religion, Nazism, fascism, racism, xenophobia, war and we prison. stop fire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they have generated album bans, delays, lawsuits and criticism from religious groups and factions of the general public. Um, this song, which I love disciple is the second track first track proper really on god hates us all their ninth studio album which was released on september the 11th 2001 so you can imagine how well that went down uh not well you would say uh the artwork as well had like a bible on it that had nails hammered into it and blood and gore coming out of it that was banned of course as well um yeah i mean like slayer are you know for some people i guess you know demons to some angels to others i like them when i like them i wouldn't be the hardest core fan of theirs but they're a very good thrash metal band it must be said and yeah fair play to them for sticking to the bit it's funny that you mentioned the ramones because uh this record came out on american recordings i don't think we've even produced it but he's definitely worked with the band several times we quoted him last week so here's a quote from him again I can remember Tom Araya from Slayer coming up to me after we made a few albums together and I didn't work on one or two of the albums after that. He said, I really don't know what it is uh, what, like, that you do, but whatever it is, would you please come and do it again? I think he liked the records that we made together better than the ones he made without me and he wasn't sure why. With them, it really is about, it's so specific what they do. They really do so much of the job uh, that the job is not getting in the way of them. As long as you don't interrupt them being Slayer, it's probably going to be good. They have a flavour. It's like the Ramones, who you just compared them to, which I, nice. I, I I was going to throw that at you and be like, is that a ridiculous thing to say? But I guess you're on the same wavelength. <laughs> on point. Yeah. Um. So, like, look, Slayer are incredibly on the nose. Their album that followed this up was called Christ Illusion. Um, and this was like, you know, this was perfect fodder for 2001, Dave. You know, angry, 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 fast, fast, fast. Religion's the worst thing in the world, etc. I don't think Slayer needed to be anything more than they were. They were a blunt force object in the world of music. And I think there is scope for this. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's very critical of religion. I mean, like, it's kind of getting at the points of, you know, how can the world be as on fire as this if there's a God? Which may come up again yeah. on my list. Like, I'm picking the best songs, quote unquote, about religion. But like, you know, I think it's important to ask questions of religion, be critical of it. And with this one, um, it was half a case of valid textual points being made and half a case of me wanting to crowbar Disciple by Slayer into a top five. And I did it. That's fair. That's fair. I did for my own top five, but a few spoilers here, just look at, you know, anti-religion songs. Um, because Slayer are obviously, you know, pretty much the best at what they do. There's a lot of dross out there, but I just couldn't really parse it out. Um, I was looking at the likes of uh, Deicide Bible oh, yeah. Bashers, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is, you know, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. <laughs> Uh, but I decided, actually, I was going to be on the side of the angels, Dave, this week, which is occasionally a creepy place to be. Um, but I'll keep it wholesome with my next one. Um, we recently did our top five boy band songs. And um, this next entry has all the ingredients of that kind of 90s millennium thing. It's five good Christian boys from Tennessee with uh, good Christian frosted tips. There you go. Where 
Craig, that's, Craig, yeah. I, think, I really think you've misunderstood the assignment this week. This is an absolute banger. <laughs> that's plus one. Uh, the song's written on my heart. Do you know why they're called plus one, Dave? I don't. I probably should okay. know. Oh, no. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Can, I, can yeah. I guess? Is there, so is there five of these guys in the band? Is there? Yeah. Is the sixth member God? Yes! Yeah! 100%! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! You pull that out? <laughs> Fantastic! Um, wow. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah, that's how they decided on the name. Uh, they came together in 1999, Summertime for Humanity. Um, they disbanded a few years later. They had a lot of kind of hits. They sold nearly, I think, a million records. And, you know, I was saying earlier about that cynical thing of like a gap in the market. And sure enough, when you kind of do some reading on these guys and the team around them, they talk about how, you know, this was actually a great thing that they were kind of Christian singers. They were put together um, by some kind of Svengali type. Uh, they didn't kind of know each other uh, off the jump. And their producer, David Foster, talked about them. <laughs> Hilariously, he, <laughs> he's worked with the likes of Celine Dion and Whitney Houston. He's won 14 Grammys. But talking about these guys, he said, um, my sister, who does A&R, um, heard them at an audition and called me from one of the auditions, held up the phone and said, you're not going to believe how these guys sing. Like, what? <laughs> like, she back to the future for this? That's <laughs> <laughs> like there were five Chuck Berries in like, I don't know, distressed denim. And he said, listen, when I found out they're a Christian group, I looked at it as a plus um, because, you know, the boy band arena was tricky NSYNC Backstreet Boys 98 Degrees were doing so well and he said you know being a Christian group they're totally protected <laughs> they've got a sizable audience pretty much all to themselves and um yeah they milked it for a good few years they had a good run um let me just see if I have a quote from one of the members so that yeah Members included Jason Perry, Jeremy Meyer, Nathan Walters, Gabe Coombs, and Nate Cole. These are all very wholesome rock. boy next door names, aren't they? Like, yeah. very much so. How many Nate of them, Cole said, "How many of them to think voted for Trump?" Though you know, ultimately. Oh yeah, I wonder where they all are now. There's got to be a few of those articles around. I'd say all of them. Um, <laughs> so, so Nate Cole said, um, "The Bible says to be in the world and not of the world." So we go into places. Um, where most Christian groups don't get to go, and we like to put ourselves in those positions. But there's still that line you need to draw where you're not supporting or encouraging something that's not right. Why are they going to the LA they Times war torn <laughs> military bases? Like, like, that, the LA Times bizarre. journalist, yeah, ass like such ass. Like, <laughs> there's been TV shows we've been offered, but we've seen them and they're very raunchy, so we stay away from that. So fair play to them. <laughs> but yeah, so you know they were kind of the gentler um, version of. You know, if Justin Timberlake was too edgy to bring home, these guys just dressed denim, frosted tips, and like well tummed pocket Bibles. Yeah, these guys. How do you feel about the whole, you know, Christian boy band circuit, I suppose, which I guess probably is its own little cottage industry? And I assume there are lots of acts that are specifically under the umbrella of religion and they don't never like they're not gonna ever really kind of cross out i mean it's kind of its own do they win grammys i mean like again i'm not meaning to be demeaning here it's, they it's, win. it's a world i don't know i can tell you that they don't win grammys um well some of them win grammys but plus one did not they won dove awards dave though sounds nice which is it's given out by the gospel music association uh so it's kind of like i think it's emotional again, there, like right? a natural thing <laughs> yeah choking up at the <laughs> just love me some gospel um, gospel does someday. not feature in my top five because it's actually good a good genre but yeah the dove awards i guess they're like you know the ivor novello but you get like a vip pass to heaven or something like that 
Maybe we should pivot to that, you know, set ourselves up for the future. Maybe we should. Maybe we should cover the Dove Awards. That would be sensational. Um, But yeah, in terms of, in terms of this kind of music, we we didn't really talk about the song, but it's that thing of like, it's your classic boy band song, but instead of singing like to girls, they're just singing. It's like they're in love with Jesus. It could be called crushing on Jesus, you know? Maybe it should have been. Maybe that was the original. Yeah, we, we didn't get into the symphonic nature of the song because I think it was. I, I think it spoke for Maybe itself. To, yeah, I think yeah, it spoke exactly. for itself. Yeah. It, it, it was arresting. Uh, Craig mentions heaven there, the concept thereof, and that's where the next song kind of takes place. Here I am, back on the best beat. Although it's been pretty confusing so far. I think we're all just kind of singing from the same hymn sheet. Oh! <laughs> the gates of mercy in arbitrary space. And none of us deserving the cruelty or the grace. Oh, solitude of longing, where love has been confined. Calm healing of the body, calm healing of the mind. Oh, see the darkness yielding that tore the light. What is he on about? It's Leonard Cohen, (laughs) and the song is Come Healing, taken from the 2012 album Old Ideas. Leonard Cohen would, of course, pass away in 2016, four years later, but much like my top five last week, culminating in Johnny Cash's The Man Comes Around, and the idea of an elder statesman preparing to meet their maker, and perhaps ask some questions and challenge in the process, this feels like Leonard Cohen taking stock of decades, and maybe, just maybe, hoping that atonement and divine paradise await. Furthermore, Craig, uh, it's about forgiveness, learning to heal. Ideas and beliefs that we're told from a very young age represent the core of most religions, but honestly, the world doesn't always work that way, does it? We're so often in conflict. I like the idea of Leonard Cohen, who most definitely has danced with the devil at the crossroads on more than one occasion in his life, waiting in line at the pearly gates, ready to tip his hat to St. Peter, Maybe they could become drinking buddies or write a song together or something. I think this is an absolutely beautiful song. Yeah. Here, here. Uh, does St. Peter have chops? <laughs> could he lend anything to the proceedings? Maybe. He's been around long enough, so you got to think he's doing something. I knew um, Leonard Cohen would feature. Um, Did quite you? rightly because... Did you know well, that? Do you know... Get inside <laughs> my head. Go on. Figure me out. It's just, it's such a great example of how, you know, I've been rolling out proper Christian music, but actually the best religious songs are kind of come from a totally different sphere and just seem way more genuine. And like, you know, Leonard Cohen was the guy that grappled with various religions and Christianity. And, you know, he went to that Zen center, like he basically lived in a Buddhist retreat for five years and just kind of renounced everything. He was the real deal. Like he was as as much as the real deal as I think he can get in the entertainment business anyway from the looks of things um so i'm still getting getting over your intro (laughs) to that clip such a change of like pace energy singing from the same hymn sheet and your reaction as well when you deliver that it was great it was like when like Henri would score an audacious goal and not look, not wait for the ball to go in the net and just peel away. You peeled away from the mic. I did actually peel away from the mic. I put, my, I, I put my hands in the air as if I had scored a goal. I've never been so... And then I... But also, I just I, I just threw it then straight into the fucking Baroque tones yeah. of Leonard Cohen in his later oh, days. Well, that's why people listen to the show. Variety, I guess. In terms of the selection, would you be more... 
he's got such a infallible um discography would would this kind of latter day leonard be more your vibe right do you think he improved as he kind of got older and learned like i lessons? don't that, do you that, go back to this stuff more that's than a, the kind of yeah classic, that's, quote, that's unquote, a really classics? really good question i think I've, i think i've more of a relationship with the older yeah. Cohen stuff at the last few albums in particular like you know which i i think he has some amazing stuff on the recent yeah. records tracks like Nevermind, come healing uh, you want it darker. Um, it's more that he kind of passed me by in a way. I was always kind of surrounded by him to some degree. I mean, like my parents, who I've mentioned, probably mentioned before, like they're not the biggest music people in the world, but they went to see him live like three fucking times. Yeah. Like when he was touring Ireland in that kind of run. Um, one of my best friends, uh, two of my best friends, really, their father, like the, they're all in, like very much into Leonard Cohen together. They went to see him live again. Phrases like religious experience would come up. I never saw him live. It is one of those ones I will always regret. I still don't know enough about, you know, proceeding. And, like, it is. I'm often accused by by some of my best friends, Craig, that that I'm tied musically like a rubber band to stuff that has come out, like, beyond the 90s, beyond the 2000s or whatever. I'm always a bit intimidated to go back to a back catalogue of somebody. I only really know the hits, quote-unquote. I've never even sat down and watched a concert film. Maybe I should. There's a lot more I need to learn about the man. Um, but I do think he's an incredible guide, an incredibly spiritual figure. And yeah. I love... I, I I don't know this, I can't say this with enough autonomy, but like it sounds to me like he maintained a level of quality control up to his end, which I mean like like what an arc that is, right? Yeah, I think he was, you know, he started as a writer and a poet and I think he maintained that approach to the work where it's like I might release an album for seven, eight, nine, ten years, but what I will put out will be like totally well crafted and kind of poured over and yeah, fantastic. Like I, I saw him live and it was that religious experience thing. Um, that might be a good way in because like his, the way he approached the older songs in that context was fantastic as well. Great in interviews as well. Sadly missed. Just a great, great, beautiful human being. Um, okay. My number three is a name probably most associated with all that is lame about religious music. You might be able to guess it, Dave, if I was guessing Leonard Cohen. Um, this is like, it's like, the Vatican version of Eddie Vedder. It's it's a band that makes Nickelback sound like the Stooges. Here you go. Of course. Okay. Hear a thunder in the distance. See a vision of the cross. I feel the pain that was given on a sad day of loss. Lion rolls in the darkness only he holds a key. To free me from my burden and Yeah, I used to be big into Creed, Craig. Congratulations. I knew this was coming. Actually I didn't know this was coming yeah. until until my face ran cold when I realized oh fuck he's picked Creed, hasn't he? Okay. Creed had to feature. Um, yeah, that's there was fair. there was some weighing up I did where it's like they were so massive, huge. Do you know what I mean? So like obviously I've played some kind of jokier songs. Can, can and I just, more quality here? But yeah, I'm, go on. I'm just going to step in and, and I'm going to confess. I'm going to confess my sins here. I bought three Creed albums. Craig, it happened. Oh. Yeah, I bought three of them. But yeah, you had this, did you? It was my own prison. <laughs> This is the, um, first, the first album. Human Clay. Prison. Human Clay was the one I bought first, which of course has higher and with arms wide open. And I maintain yeah. that, like on the third record, Weathered, um, that I bought, uh, the opening track Bullets has both an exceptionally cool kick in intro and one of the worst music videos you will ever see. Yes, for a time I was confused and I oh. sought solace at the feet of Scott Stapp. What can I say? 
Um, yeah, Scott Stapp. So let's talk about him. You heard him there. You did a very good impression of his um, Yarl technique. <laughs> did, did you know that was a term? I do know. <laughs> yeah, Yarling. Um, you kind of know what it means. Like it's it's that kind of where you don't suppress the kind of the or just it's basically it's him. It's Eddie Vedder, of course. Who I think maybe invented it. It's like Aaron Lewis of Stained, Chad Kroger. It's that... It's a lot of that. But uh, I don't think he's great at it um, whatsoever. He kept, he kept protesting that they weren't a Christian band until they became very much a Christian band. Um, they were initially called Naked Toddler, which kind of showed where they were at um, in terms of taste and like um, poor choices. And they sold something like over... 50 million records oh they were massive they were massive so Huge. big and this is like this was one of their first songs where they were just like unshamedly this is just a christian song right like it's the lyrics are i cry out to god seeking only his decision gabriel stands and confirms i've created my own prison which is <laughs> <Just> like oh, <laughs> gabriel just rocking up but um they were voted by um rolling stone um readers the worst band of the 90s i don't know how much rolling stone's probably a bit legit back then um i took out the little blurb from <laughs> their arrival in that list and it's um it's no surprise the creed won this poll wasn't even close this is a band so hated that their own fans sued them after a famously bad show in chicago in 2003 frontman scott stapp is so despised that when a video surfaced of him getting a blowjob next to kid rock kid rock said he was mainly embarrassed people learned he was hanging out with scott Stapp. so many questions and yeah scott Stapp's had a, a rough old time but he doesn't seem like the greatest character there's like a, a lot of substance abuse and he's had a kind of tough time of it i think it might still be ongoing i don't know what the story is with him but he yeah like he talks about how um he initially kind of rejected religion i think he was a but he came from a born-again christian family and he got back into jesus but then he had substance issues and he embraced a rock star lifestyle. He talks about how when he was like, there was Scott and then there was this other character called Rick and Rick was him when he was like out of control. There's a lot of stuff going on with this band, Dave. Yeah, no, you're, you are correct. And of course, um, the one Scott Stapp like went full meltdown mode and the band broke up. Uh, the band came back as a different band without him called Alter Bridge, who of course oh, okay. did um, Edge's WWE theme song, which featured on our wrestling themes episode back in December. Um, yeah, yeah no, look, it was a phase. So it was a phase. I mean, I'm going on national radio to talk about new metal and how much I still love it all these years on. I did leave Creed behind on a highway, you know, it happened. But I'm but sure I, Jesus will pick them up. Thought they, were, thought they were pretty good for a while. Jesus rides beside them. Uh, you know, teenage years, man. It's all a confusing time. Getting a blowjob next to Kid Rock sounds like the most disgusting oh, thing. So bad. Would you not be thinking in that moment, okay, there is no God. Like, surely that's all the confirmation you need. The way that you started that sentence was with such enthusiasm. I thought you were going to say, would you not go for it? Like, no, Craig, I, w- I absolutely would not. <laughs> is that like- not the dream, though, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, moving on. Uh, back in the best corner... I think we firmly entrenched best and worst now. Yeah. Uh, here's an incredible song that I find quite mysterious, but I think it is about religion. Yes, of 
course, it's our old friends Vampire Weekend, and the track oh. is Yahey, taken from the 2013 masterpiece that is Modern Vampires of the City. Just how spiritual is this song? In truth, I'm not sure. It feels like an ancient text at times, certainly a different language, and it feels to me that it's communicating with and about some form of higher power. Uh, the genius page for this song is rife with deep religious interpretations on just yeah. about every single lyric. And honestly, it is quite overwhelming. Uh, in general, Ezra Koenig and Rostam, uh, but Manglage, appear to be asking critical questions of God. Uh, chief among them, the Alliance of Atrocities, if this supposedly omnipotent being is lounging in the clouds above while uh, lounging in the clouds above while his or her creation breaks and burns constantly below. In many ways, they are the preppy New York answer to Slayer. Uh, so let me ask you, Craig, <laughs> is Yahey a hymn, secret or otherwise? Um, I think it is a hymn. I think there's devotional aspects to it because I think it's trying to grapple with the idea of a creator and what they might be thinking. Like it goes back to your question of if there can be such awfulness in the world, does that not kind of negate the notion of there being a kind of a God? And then I think this is kind of going, well, surely a creator figure would not be operating by the same moral compass. So it's all about, you know, fates throughout time, trying to deal with the concept of us coming from something and actually whether that's something wants to know about us or not. It's great. Like it kind of humanizes God. Um, Ezra's lyrics are, yeah, the genius reference is great because like anytime you dip into those kind of songs from Ezra, every single, not just line, but kind of little phrase seems to have like five different references and it's just so layered. And I think he's done a lot of kind of a reading. Like he, he, this seems to be an area he of like academia he's interested in. And he's one of the best, I think, at the moment of just doing quite subtle songs about fate and so yeah this is a brilliant shout well done Dave thanks yeah I mean I like, remember, <laughs> yeah go on sorry no no you go first please <clears throat> I was thinking about when um we, we were getting into this record uh, I was reviewing it at the time so I heard, had a few listens first of all and then I was kind of like yeah you should give it a listen you got into it um I can't remember maybe it was me maybe it was someone else that kind of made you listen to it but you were talking about how it was the arrival of Hannah Hunt and the more specifically the drums in Hannah Hunt where you're like okay they're not fucking around they've done it like this is, this is a great album um which was a great shout yeah hey was one of those songs for me as well where I remember um going to my sister and trying to indoctrinate her with music and just being like playing this song first not Hannah Hunt and being like they've they've stepped up they've done it <laughs> and they're like <laughs> it felt like this is a breakthrough moment for them they're going to be huge um, such a nerd but yeah they've great song done it. I, I love they've done it it's so good it's yeah that that is the Chuck Berry moment like you're ringing everyone up being like yeah. oh, no I think I struggled with Yahe at first um, but it did eventually win me over um, I would like to quote now if I may from a writer called Robert Leadham who used to write the weekly singles column for Drowning Sound. Um, and when Yahe came out as a single, uh, Robert Leadham dedicated that week's column to the song and detailed his own experience of devout religion and also falling severely ill at a young age, which tested his faith greatly. Uh, Yahe caught him off guard years on. So I'm just going to read a few paragraphs here because I think it's a great piece. And it was I remember it going down very, cool. very well at the time. So in the words of Robert Leadham... <clears throat> I'd always assumed Vampire Weekend were too savvy to step into the moral quagmire themselves. 
they've already had enough grief leveled at them for being the acceptable face of world music, quote-unquote. Imagine the Ferrari if they stop for one second to write a song that's not about something seemingly frivolous, like bonking your cousins. Yahe is that song. Rather than dropping oblique reference points every third line, it sees Koenig adopt a magnificently blasphemous posture from start to finish. He is talking to Jehovah, the Almighty, the Big Cheese, as the representative of a world of non-believers and hardened cynics. He is demanding to know, when confronted with such global indifference and outright aggression, why would you not announce your existence with absolute certainty? Anyone who's lost faith in religion will have posed this question before. When all was well in my life, bar a series of facial eruptions to rival Mount Vesuvius, it didn't bother me that I'd never witnessed a shining white light and a voice booming with thespian wisdom. That would arrive in my hour of need at a moment that required more than biblical vagaries like I am that I am. The truly upsetting brilliance of Yahe is that it recognises that this moment will never come. It is not in God's nature to announce himself like that. Despite having created Zion, Babylon, and the rest of the world, he will watch it fall apart without staging an intervention. He will leave you strung out on a hospital bed, incandescent with fear and anger, regardless of what you might think consequently of him. Who could ever live that way, ponders a disarmingly sympathetic Koenig. His God is human like mine, but he's pitiful, not negligent. Perilous, not almighty. He's as feckless as I was after being hooked up to an intravenous drip and pumped full of toxins. Cursed to stare upon a vast expanse of suffering and hope that a pop band from New York City might express the caring sentiment he's personally unable to. Strip away the theological context from Yahe, and it's worth remembering that a pop song sits at its core. A righteous swirl of drums, bass, plaintive piano, shrill vocoder, and gospel chanting. Of course, there is gospel chanting. I wholeheartedly believe that this euphoric cocktail would amount to one of Empire Weekend's best songs, even if its transcendental vision was masked by tangential shoutouts to luxury designer brands or ex-members of Genesis. Then again, if this was the case, I wouldn't have welled up the first time I heard the song. It wouldn't have dredged up so many long-forgotten memories, and I wouldn't have felt this experience was all I could write about. Ultimately, it wouldn't have meant so much to me. And I think it does have that power, and I can't believe that this band would go on to write Father of the Bride. My album of the year. (laughs) Still doing it. Well done, boys. (laughs) I will also point out that... um, Ezra Koenig kind of co-wrote Hold Up by Beyonce and don't know if you know but when he wrote that kind of lead hook it was initially going to be like a Vampire Weekend song and the initial lyrics were like um, can't you see that there's no other god above you or something like that basically so it was like it wasn't about a man it wasn't about a relationship it was going to be a kind of theistic thing so it could have Hold Up by Beyonce which is amazing and I love it could have ended up being like a kind of sequel to Yahe I don't know it's interesting to me. Anyway, I'm stalling because we're about to get into some absolute awfulness. Yeah, it's time. You've teased this. Um, once again, right, okay. trigger warning, you have something bad yeah, for this, us, I believe. It's just kind of haunting. People shouldn't worry too much. Um, I think I had to go there. It's it's creepy kind of Christian children's recordings. And um, I picked out Buddy Davis's I Don't Believe in Evolution, which was kind of lighthearted and just had a kind of cheery children's choir singing that line. But it wasn't weird enough. It was a bit one note. So I dredged this up. Um, which I, I think ironically is from the Bells of Hell, uh, by which I mean 70s America. And yeah, what I'll say is this is a tamer cut. I had a, I had another version that got a bit weird um, and I didn't go with that. So this is, okay, th- the background to this is, this is a fully grown man who was like a televangelist doing kind of spoken word theatre music and he keeps putting on like a Donald Duck meets kind of Cartman voice for this character he has called Little Marky um, who has had a horrendous time of it Um, so this clip is Little Marky encountering Jesus on the cross and things are 
it's basically the passion of the christ meets barney it's high weirdness um deeply creepy here you go you could see the skin as it overlaid the thorns and they put some metal stickers in his hands and in his feeties and I looked up at him and I said sir what's your name and he said Jesus Jesus why are you doing this <laughs> I'm so sorry I'm good gonna... god almighty Craig you've gone to some places this week what the fuck was that it was Lil Marky um the guy is Mark Fox. Um, there's not too much about him out out there on the internet. Um, a prison record, I hope. Yeah, like I felt even my kind of search history, I was like, do I need to delete all this stuff? He's like a dude rocking a mullet who was like, um, he had like a public access TV show where he was, you know, televangelizing and he was still, um, he was still doing gigs in kind of like, gigs, like church, kind of mega church stuff in like Miami. <laughs> Yeah, until get recently, the I right here. Yeah, it was it was weird trying to. I didn't want to dip too heavy into the, the lore of this, um, but he was making these recordings from like the the late seventies. He did have um, some kind of straighter crooner stuff where he was just doing Christian kind of ballads as well. But then he had this character which is just like terrifying, right? And I did actually spare spare you all because um, that character is the main character in a song called Diary of an Unborn Child. And there's a lot of kind of obviously anti-abortion stuff in there. Uh, Other like hits include Story of an Alcoholic Father, Something's Happened to Daddy. This was marketed as kids music. I kept looking around to be like, is this a spoof? And it's not. Your man was like a feature of the kind of televangelist scene. And just, I don't know what the hell is going on with him. (laughs) I probably would burn that hard drive of yours like, <laughs> burn seriously. the whole hard drive just, should we delete this entire recording <laughs> I, I think I'm okay I think my, this isn't in my search history but, but I mean like it is yeah th- this could be one of those things where like there's now coded messages if you play the thing backwards or something but yeah um, I'm disturbed Craig I'm, I'm genuinely upset and regretting do you understand oh, now how I couldn't like this probably should have been number one but I couldn't end on this note like it just would have been I don't know <laughs> yeah, it was also nice of you to spare us all, which in itself is benevolent divinity. Oh, I, so yeah, actually, do you want a palate cleanser? Because there was another song that was kind of vying for a position, but I, I think it is actually it ended up being a bit of a hoax. Um, but I think it'll just uplift us slightly. It's uh, even though it includes a, a middle-aged woman using a racial epithet, uh, I've I've censored that bit. Um, but this is decidedly more mainstream. I think it had like 74 million YouTube views. This is rapping for Jesus. I preach the word, that's my gig, and I rhyme better than Notorious Big. All the other MCs, I wish them well, but if you live in sin, you burn in hell. I'ma pass the mic to my lovely wife. She's a fly MC and the light of my life. So the buster rhyme without further ado. Take it away, Mary Sue. Jesus Christ is my. He's the son of the original G. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. I, I do apologize. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Like, not only is this a case of Craig doing his classic maneuver of crowbarring in one or two extra songs and, you know, besmirching <laughs> the actual sanctity of the top five being five songs, but, um, I, yeah, I, like, I, I, I don't know, man. I, it I was just... supposed to be uh, Pastor Jim Colrick and his wife, Mary Sue, from, like, an outreach youth Christian program in uh, Iowa, but they couldn't quite find the pastor and I think people in the region were like, I think this might be fake. But yeah, even if it's like done as a joke, I mean, this, there's a video there. There's this like kind of Midwest couple really singing this or rapping this stuff. <laughs> um, eh, yikes. Yeah, Slipknot, no longer the most troublesome thing to come out of Iowa. I think we can agree. Time for my runner-up this week and the best songs about religion. I think I have put this in a top five before, but you kind of can't do a top five that, like this without this woman. Let's do it. Oh, that was really nice. Craig and I had a little bop there uh, over Zoom. A little head bop. Who would have thought this would be one of the wholesome songs to cheer us up? (laughs) (laughs) It's Madonna. It's like a prayer. Uh, We mentioned Scandalous Fellatio earlier on. Is this song about God and religion or is it merely about mind-blowing oral sex? Craig Fitzpatrick is going to answer that question for us right now. It's all one and the same, Dave. (laughs) Fair enough, Craig, you know, oh, like, God. different strokes and all that, I suppose. Um, yes, Madonna, a famous artist, you might say, very well known. Uh, like a Prayer is a song by the album of the same name, was her fourth record. Um, it, thematically, it speaks about a passionate young girl in love with God who becomes the only male figure in her life. It's a pop rock song that incorporates gospel music, as Craig mentioned, gospel music rules, and it sounds great here. Um, this was quite acclaimed, and it was quite controversial. There was a video, of course, that people got up in arms about, um, kind of had like a Black Jesus thing going on the actor leon was in there Uh, it had burning crosses in the video as well the vatican were not happy there's a whole pepsi thing coming up which i'll tell you about in a second um but this was also like i mean like seen as the kind of big moment for her from going from just a pop star to an artist of you know incredible songwriting now and intelligence and savviness and so on and it's funny because like i remember like i grew up in a house where my sister and my brother both fucking worship madonna and so i would hear this song constantly like this is like burned into my brain forever the melody the chorus all of it it's an all-timer i think i I think it's one of the great pop songs like one of the great songs ever written probably by anybody ever it's actually quite moving as well as being a bop it's like a tricky thing that she manages to pull off i think and yeah it still retains some of that kind of like pure pop thing of her like coming to popularity initially but she's clearly taking it in totally different directions and kind of totally original voice a huge moment she was like one of the big stars on the planet and i don't think we really get those moments anymore where it's like every generation of the family and the community are hearing all this stuff everywhere so they're like certain aspects of them are outraged and it's just like one of those singular kind of moments that in our fractured society dave we don't really have anymore we do so, yeah. live in a society fractured death nonetheless um she did at the age of 30 she spoke to rolling stone and she said once you're catholic you're always a catholic in terms of your feelings or of guilt and remorse and whether you've sinned or not sometimes i'm racked with guilt when i needn't be and that to me 
is left over from my Catholic upbringing. Because in Catholicism, you were born a sinner, and you're a sinner all of your life. No matter how you try to get away from it, the sin is within you at all times. Uh, And I guess that sin was front and centre for uh, lots of people around the world when, in January of 1999, while the music video for this was still being filmed, Pepsi, who are getting a lot of play on this show for some reason, announced that they had signed Madonna for $5 million, a deal to feature her and Like a Prayer for an upcoming TV commercial they were making. Um, This also included Pepsi sponsoring her next world tour at the time. She wanted to use the commercial to launch the song globally before its actual release, and this was like a unique thing. It was the first time anything like this had been done in the music industry. Uh, Pepsi also benefited from having their product associated with Madonna, thereby creating promotion, it says here, which I'm sure you learned on your first day of doing your advertising masters, Greg. That's called promotion. That's like the last lesson, actually, Dave. You have to I work way so. up to that. <laughs> Um, according to the company's advertising head, Alan Potash, uh, the global media buy and unprecedented debut of this long-awaited single will put Pepsi first and foremost in consumers' minds. I always love this kind of stuff. I always love drifting yeah. into this territory. Um, essentially, the commercial was premiered during the global telecast of the 31st Grammys in February of 1989. Uh, an advertisement was jer- aired during the Cosby Show, oh. there, uh, which was one of the most popular shows at the time. Um, so there was a two-minute <laughs> commercial called Make a Wish, and it showed Madonna going back in time through her childhood memories. Uh, she watches a video of her birthday party when she's a kid. She reminisces and changes places with her young self. The young Madonna roams aimlessly around the grown-up Madonna's room, while the latter dances with her childhood friends on the street and inside a bar. The ad continues as Madonna dances inside a church surrounded by a choir and her child self discovering her old doll. As both figures of Madonna are interchanged once again, the grown-up Madonna looks towards the TV and says, Go ahead, make a wish. And they raise their Pepsi cans to one another. It's a whole thing. Now, here's where it gets interesting, Craig. An estimated 250 million people around the world viewed the commercial. Um, Pepsi spokesman Todd McKenzie said that the ad was planned to be aired simultaneously in Europe, Asia, Australia, and North America. There's some funny kind of stuff written about it. So here's Bob Garfield from the Advertising Age saying that, quote, Bob Garfield, I love it. From Turkey to El Salvador to any town USA, around 500 million eyes were glued to the screen. So he's just taking the figure of 250 million and doubling it because people have two eyes. That's a bit of a fucking cheat, isn't it? Don't you think? I like it. No, it's accurate. Uh, Leslie Savon from The Village Voice noted that the commercial qualified, quote, as a hymn to the global capabilities of the age of electronic reproductions. It celebrates the pan-cultural ambitions of both soda pop and pop star. (laughs) None of these people seem real. (laughs) You're just fabricating all of this. The day after the commercial premiered, uh, the actual music video came out. The Vatican were not happy, saying it contained blasphemous use of Christian imagery. They called for the national boycott of Pepsi and fast food chains that they were associated with. Whole big thing. I would argue that uh, it did well for her. Uh, You know, it made her a big star. It helps. Controversy creates cash. All that kind of stuff. And Madonna said, art should be controversial. That's all there is to it. She's right. It's a great song, religious or otherwise, but there is religious subtext and text all over this thing. It's a classic. I love it. That's my number two. Yeah. And ultimately, I think capitalism was the the victor. Usually Um, is, yeah. And is, you know, really the one true religion. Right, Dave? I yeah sure as I drink from my bottle of sparkling water with a big logo on it very good uh okay my I feel really bad about this one now I feel really bad um this uh, this is picked as my number one it's an annoying song I'm just in comparison to what we just listened to I feel like I'm really slamming this artist but um is it Madonna it is not Madonna it is a female artist and here it is yeah yeah that is 
it gets very football terrace anthem at the end, doesn't it? Just a stranger on the bus. Like, it's a bit that, yeah. isn't it? Don't you, don't you think? Very much so. And that's why it was a hit around the world, Dave. That was One of Us by Joan Osborne. Um, apologies to Joan, I guess, that she's finished above Little Marky. Um, she's clearly an actual musician and not deranged. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I think for my top spot, it's just we're sinking into the beige because... <clears throat> when I assessed it this was actually a massive hit and this like impacted my life <laughs> when it was out in the 90s I was just a little boy at the time but this was everywhere and so so annoying it's the religious what's up it's just inane beyond belief um she didn't write it um she was kind of gifted the song it was written by an Eric Bazillion um, what a name apparently yeah Eric Bazilian, who apparently was in a group called The Hooters not um, as good of a name he, yeah he, he wrote it for a debut album Relish which came out in 1995 and uh, I've got some of Bazilian talking about how he came up with it and he says yeah I wrote that song one night quickest song I ever wrote isn't it always the way um, to impress a girl <laughs> I was like okay he says, which worked because we're married and have two kids. Great. Okay. I was hoping the, he says, the rest of it was going to be, which worked because I got laid. Like, I wanted to be like something <laughs> horrific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never called her again. Um, so he said, basically, he'd been working on this. He had a little demo and um, the guy he was working with, Rick Churfton, was, or Chertoff, was like, okay, give this to Joan. She'd do a really good job in it. So, you know, she essentially did. Um she said she could sing it. He says, we did a little live demo of a guitar and her singing it. And I love the way this ends. He goes, and when I got into my car and popped the cassette in, I started practicing the Grammy speech that I should have gotten to give. <laughs> <laughs> now, it did win a Grammy. So I think that's him being like, I'm pretty sure it won a Grammy. Maybe it was only nominated, but it feels very much like all these years on, he's like, damn it, I should have made that speech. <laughs> like, fucking hell, get over it, dude. I'm sure you made absolutely millions from this inane song that you wrote as a chat-up. Did it win any Dove Awards that we know of, by any chance? I don't have that information to hand, Dave, but Sorry. I can come back to it on next week's episode, and we can have the whole Dove Awards feature. I did that, but on, it's just, um, I did that on Radio Nova yeah. once when they were signing off a story, and I went, I don't have the information to hand, Carol. And I was just like, fuck this. Like, this wasn't in the, this wasn't <laughs> we're in the making order. Calls. Classic um, Carol. Uh, teenage Dave, of course, thought this was very deep, Craig. I was troubled. Oh, really? Yeah, I liked it this? for a bit. Yeah, yeah, I was an idiot. Like, you know, I thought I thought it was nice, you know, I guess. But now I think it's terrible. And it's all, and, and it's also like, it's very, like, it's it, it popped up in a bunch of American and tv shows and movies as well as like you know transitional stuff i guess like from one emotional scene to another yeah it's a, it's as milk a toast and, and and beige and maudlin and terrible what's it saying like what if god was one of us just, just a stranger like just a stranger on the bus, on the bus. trying to make his way home what, what if what, what would that even look like i don't and the music is you know perfectly serviceable but it is really just of that time of like coffee house music which yeah, and that's rubs me the wrong way now. That's fair. Coffeehouse music is a perfect way of putting it. Good choice. I thought Cliff Richard might have made your top five, but I guess you were giving him the week off. That's fair enough. What Devil Woman or something like that? Millennium bit of a bop. Prayer, I guess was that. <laughs> like could have qualified. Okay, my number one. Um, I don't think he wrote that. But go on. My number. My number one is a great song, <laughs> uh, which will give Craig a chance to talk about the best night of his life once again on the show. Best song about religion, maybe. Here it is. Something that the pastor don't preach. Something that a teacher can't teach. 
When we die, the money we can't keep But we probably spend it all Cause the pain ain't cheap Preach Human beings in a mind What's a mind to a king? What's a king to a guy? What's a guy to a Yes, indeed. You didn't think I was letting an entire episode goodbye without crowbarring Kanye West into proceedings, did you? It's Kanye West and Jay-Z. Watch the throne. And of course, you heard on that track the absolute angelic intervention of Frank Ocean. The song pa- is, Patron saints of no encore. I, I mean, it, you can't leave him out either, could you? The song is No Church in the Wild. And before we get to Craig telling us about the best gig he's ever been to yet again, uh, I've got a pop quiz for you, Craig. Da-na-na-na-na. It's just one question, though, so okay. you can calm down. Uh, this song, No Church in the Wild... But if you don't u- get it correct, you will die. <laughs> you're off the show. Um, this song was used in not one, but two films across 2012 and 2013. Can you name either of these films for a point? Miami Voice. No, that was 2006, dude. <laughs> Damn it, why was I so sure of that? <laughs> you were very confident. I'll give you one more guess, no? Okay. Yeah, go on. Um, let me think. 2000... One of them is a action thriller starring Denzel Washington, and I think Ryan Reynolds. I've never seen it. That's the 2012 one. You're not going to get that, are you? I don't think you are. No. It's no. called Safe House. And the next one um, is from 2013. This was in the trailer for it, and it's in the film itself, I think. Uh, a modern update of a classic novel that has led to uh, a very overused gif these days on oh WhatsApp Oh my god, it was in The Great Gatsby. The I Great still Gatsby! Seen that film. Yay. I, I, people hate that film, I thought it was okay. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, the novel's one of my favourite novels of all time, so I was like, I've got to stay clear of it, it'll just ruin it. That's fair. Uh, no Church in the Wild is taken from Watch the Throne, it's a song that asks tough questions about religion. I think Jay-Z in particular, who I didn't play in the clip, of course, is quite good on this, and it's just about... The- <laughs> I love the way you say that, like, oh, Jay-Z! Yeah. Actually quite good, one of the greatest rappers of all time. Um, um, but yeah, no, it's it's fair. Yeah, I mean, like, it, like I, I like reading again the the kind of ten dollar reviews of this. You know, it's like uh, here's some Los Angeles Times. Randall Roberts said uh, the listener enters a bejeweled realm, one filled with musings on the spoils of riches and the chaos that accompanies it. The chorus underpins Jay Z's contemplation of the relevance of the clergy and ancient philosophers to someone who makes his living on the streets. While R and B star Frank Ocean questions what is a god to a non believer. So once again, it's there in the text and the subtext. I just find this song in particular, the way it starts, that kind of driving rhythm to be one of the most hypnotic things I've ever heard. Did they play this live when you saw them or did they not? I feel like yeah, it was, did it they? was towards the end of the set, I believe. Yeah. Um, just before like the kind of continuous encore at the end, which was amazing. But yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was one of the last couple of tracks they played. I might be misremembering, but I think I remember it kicking in and, uh, yeah, it was sensational. The whole gig was sensational, Dave. Let me tell you about it. But um, a yeah, no, I experience this, you I might say. Track. Yeah, I, I like Jay-Z and kind of um, philosophical musing vibes. Like he does that stuff very well. And I think that's kind of where his whole authenticity in terms of like his position and, you know, him pulling him up to that position. He seems well-placed, I think, to muse on what it all means. And Kanye, of course... I mean, the irony of Kanye is that, like, he, throughout his career, made some of the best Christian music that there is, and then he makes the actual Christian album, and it's not quite as good, I would say. So, yeah. 
Yeah, but we forgive him because that's do, what religion is about, right? It's about atonement. Some religion. Yeah. <laughs> Depends who I, you ask. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I could see myself falling down the rabbit hole of, of, of Christianity and Catholicism someday, but like maybe not until Leonard Cohen's age or something, you know? But for now, we, uh, I guess, us outlaw devils that we are, Craig, we press on in this crazy, Heathens. crazy, crazy podcast world. I want to thank Sonic Architect David Tapley of Tandem Felix. Oh. Incredible band. Give it up. Check yep. them out. Uh, he is the Sonic Architect this week. Adam is back next week. And that was our songs about religion. I hope it was a divine experience for you, listener. Uh, I mean, like, lots of mega churches in the States would now hand out a collection plate and demand your money. We won't do that physically, but I will verbally state that if you want to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash noencore. Craig, how are you feeling? Are you feeling blessed after this episode? Blessed, yeah. By capitalism, baby. <laughs> That's okay. the last word yet again. <laughs> right, I'll, we'll leave it on that note. Uh, back very soon. This is No Encore. My name is Dave Hanratty. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Don't know if there's heaven, but there will be a No Encore. I guarantee you that. Take care. Have a great weekend. Bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Enjoy! Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.